In this episode, I'm joined by an amazing guest, and we're sharing tips for visiting Washington, D.C. with kids. If you're a longtime podcast listener, you might remember that I already published an episode on this topic. In episode six, I chatted with a guest about his experiences exploring D.C. with his daughter. After that episode, some of you contacted me and pointed out that what we really talked about was tips for visiting with small kids or young kids, and that kids are not a monolith. The strategy for visiting with young kids is different from middle school kids and is different from teenagers. And I am somewhat embarrassed because I know this. As a tour guide, I've met thousands of families and interacted with kids of all ages, and I know that previous episode fell a little short. And of course, since kids grow up, even if you visited D.C., say, 10 years ago, when they were young, the tips you need for a trip now will be completely different. To help out with this, I found someone who I think is one of the most knowledgeable people to speak on this topic. So hopefully you'll enjoy this interview. And with that said, let's get started. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out any show notes from this episode, listen to other podcast episodes, or learn about Trip Hacks DC guided tours, you can do all of that over at TripHacksDC.com. Today, I am joined by Jennifer Liao. Jennifer is the founder of Family Trip Guides, a local blog that is a wealth of information about the things to do with kids in the D.C. area and beyond. She created a free DMV with Kids database with over 500 kid-friendly spots, which can be filtered by criteria such as free or paid, indoor-outdoor, different age groups, and more. In addition to the blog, Jennifer's Family Trip Guide's Instagram account is used as a go-to resource by many local families. So, Jennifer, welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And before we jump into really the things to do, what you recommend, I'm just curious to know what inspired you to start Family Trip Guides? I've been here for 12 years and I have a family. <laughs> um, I have a nine-year-old and six-year-old right now. And we moved here from Chicago and I knew about the things to do in in the National Mall. So, you know, the Smithsonian's and the monuments, but I didn't really know how much there was to do here until the pandemic. I bet a lot of us have had that experience. And so when those things were closed, we started um, to really explore, you know, the green spots on Google Maps. So I would look for a green spot and we would go um, explore it, whether it was a playground or a park. And I just started sharing my experiences on Instagram. And I had had the blog because of some museum exploration that we had done. Um, and I started writing about it there. So that's kind of the the beginning of it. And of course, the pandemic, just uh, silver lining of the pandemic was we got to explore more um, places we didn't even know about. That's great. And your database is just full of places that I frankly didn't even know about. It is called the DMV uh, database for folks who may not know DMV stands for District of Columbia, Maryland and Virginia. So basically the entire metro area. Although for this episode, we're going to focus mostly on the D.C. area, since I think that's where most folks who are listening are going to spend their time. Now, Washington, D.C. is definitely a family-friendly travel destination. But one thing I've learned from 10 years of 
doing tours is that family friendly can mean very different things to different people. A big part of it depends on the age of the members of the family. And you've already told us the ages of your kids. So I want to talk about how you would approach exploring DC as a think of maybe as a tourist and imagine you have kids of different ages. Sound good? Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things when you live here, you get to play tourist when you want to, but also when people are visiting. So I have a lot of experience with that. Now, I've categorized this into three broad categories. So I think about kids as being young children, and this would be ages like zero to five or like preschool age. And then I guess kids, uh, school age, elementary and middle school from like roughly six to 12. And then Teenagers uh, would be, you know, high school uh, or maybe just before high school, ages like 13 to 18. So let's start with the young kids, zero to five. What's a good way to think about a trip when you have kids of this age? Yes, it's total. I think you're absolutely right to split it up because it's a different trip with toddlers versus teens. So with young kids, especially, I would say, I, let, let's just split up a little bit more. So um, for babies and toddlers, it's just an expectation game. I think all parents know this, that um, we call them trips probably when we're parents, not vacations. It's not really extra relaxing. But for me and in my experience, even a hard day traveling or a hard day seeing something new is still exciting. And it's going to be a hard day at home sometimes with toddlers anyway. So I'd rather be exploring something new. So for me, just start with lower expectations or maybe shocker, no expectations. You know, we're not going to do something educational. We're not going to try to do something perfect, but we're going to try to get out of the house or if we're on vacation, get out of the hotel room, explore something new and have a fun memory-making experience. So for those toddlers and babies, it's kind of that sweet spot where you get to really um, decide where you want to go. And then most places, I cannot think of a museum actually that is not kid-friendly in the sense that you can bring any age child. And then for those, let's say, a little bit older toddlers to kindergarten, um, it's really exciting to match their current interests with something that you can find in DC. And we can talk about that if you want. Yeah. Well, before we do, I think you're right about the really young kids like babies and toddlers. I I would almost wonder, is it more about just focusing on what the parents want to do and kind of having the kids tag along? Because when I think back to my own childhood, I, if I have any memories from before, let's say five years old, they're very vague memories. So it seems like, you know, planning your trip around the young kid themselves might not be the best, you know, might not have the best return on investment, especially if down the line, they're barely even going to remember what they did. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are some great, there's the National Children's Museum. There's some indoor play spaces that are really fun. So if you are just looking for that, you know, fun hangout time. There, DC all offers that. But I absolutely agree with you. Um, focus on what you want to see, and then bring your child along. And there's ways to, you know, know ahead of time. The two most important questions that I get asked and that I ask when I go out, especially with kids, is um, what is the restroom situation like, and what's the parking situation like, so um, that it c- you can be prepared ahead of time. Now, I think a lot of people who visit DC. They don't drive. A big part of that is per my own recommendation. I really kind of try to discourage folks from driving, but they probably are going to bring a stroller. So what do you think about navigating a stroller? Is that something that you do when you bring 
your kids into the city, or I, I should say did because they're older now. How would you think about that? I think you're t- absolutely right. Actually, the first place I took my daughter, she was a January baby. And the first place we took her after a couple weeks, but don't don't tell my mother-in-law, um, was the National Gallery of Art because it was a beautiful space. It, it was January, so it was cold, but it was warm in there. Um, we could use the stroller, like you said. We wouldn't be bothered about um, people coming up to us. You know, we were very like germ conscious. This was before the pandemic, but still there's a lot of open space in the National Gallery of Art. And there was that like almost white noise, um, you know, that a museum has with people walking around and it really lulled her to sleep. And it was just this like, in my mind, it was, you know, this beautiful glow of a memory. Um, And that was possible because of the stroller, because we could just stroll along. Then we had a cappuccino in the the lower level. And it was just this beautiful memory. So um, I would say a stroller is definitely important for, you know, you know, the ages of your kids. And I would even say if you're going into that transition time of the toddler, maybe not needing a stroller as much for some museums specifically, you're going to want the stroller just to keep them contained. Some of the museums like the National Portrait Gallery, they keep the art at really low levels. Some of it's on the floor. And so a toddler can definitely reach out and touch. In fact, we got dangerously close to that on the Michelle Obama portrait. Yikes. Yeah, it didn't happen, but we were close and the security guard was reaching out, you know. Well, I'm sure you weren't the first and won't be the last, but it's a good tip regardless. I can personally say when I give a tour, I do tours of almost exclusively the monuments and memorials. And it's really helpful to have a stroller when you have kids of this age. And what winds up happening in a lot of cases is the tour is approximately two and a half to three hours long. And the kid might be, you know, up and, you know, making noises and kind of aware for the first hour or so, but about halfway through, they're just, they're asleep. They're done. They're taking a nap. And at that point, it really becomes more about the other members of the family who are out uh, enjoying the tour. Absolutely. And you know, DC is such a neighborhood city, a city of neighborhoods. So um, while a lot of things can be close, some things can be pretty far away. So having that stroller or even a baby carrier, like an Ergo in the front or the back is really helpful. We would always bring both so that if, say, we were going to a couple places in the afternoon, if she got fussy or my son got fussy, we could put her in the ergo and that just made things a little better too. Yeah, I think that's an important point to make, which is when the kids get fussy, when they get cranky, it kind of detracts from everybody else's experience. Like there's not much you can do when you're in the middle of the tour and you don't have a stroller for the kid and they're just tired and they want to go back to the hotel and they want to be done with it. If you have the stroller, you can at least put them in there and let them chill out. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's great is so many of these monuments, museums are free. And so you don't feel like you have to get your money's worth. You can just dip in, dip out, you know, if your kid needs some fresh air or needs to run around the mall a little bit. Of course, on a tour, there are there are rules and, you know, guidelines, but um, it's really great. I, I think D.C. is such a kid friendly city. I agree. So let's move into the next category, uh, school-age kids or elementary and middle-age school-age kids. And this would include your own, I suppose. So this is, I would you know, consider this roughly age 6 to 12. So how would you approach visiting D.C. with kids of this age? This is such an exciting age. A lot of them are maybe learning about American history in their classes. Um, and maybe they are excited about different interests. And you can really match their interests with 
um, different sites, different tourist sites in DC. So I have on my blog actually a museum matchmaker where it's just a grid where if you're child is interested in um, obviously air and space, that would be the easiest one. Airplanes or space exploration, you can go to that museum. But even smaller things like animals, of course, the National Zoo. And then um, a lot of kids at this age are interested in transportation, you know, trucks and trains. And I think the best place for that is actually the National Postal Museum right next to Union Station. They have a lot of cool like you know mail trucks but they also have an 18 wheeler you can go inside they have a train and they have a stagecoach you can climb all around that is one of my favorite museums one one of the museums i think is in in many ways very very underrated underappreciated uh it's so great because you can just metro right to union station and then it's you know 20 feet away <laughs> i think what you mentioned about your matchmaking um service or webpage uh is that it focuses on the exhibits rather than the museum as a whole. And I think that this is where people can get tripped up when they're trying to plan a trip to DC is they only look at these as entire museums. So they think, oh, the Natural History Museum, the Air and Space Museum, the National Zoo, those are like the really obvious kid, quote unquote, kid museums. But they don't consider the National Postal Museum because they think, oh, stamps, that's that's too boring for my kids. But what they don't realize is that it's more than just stamp collections and looking at stamps. It's all this other stuff that's in there, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are also rotating a little bit. So there is a little bit of prep work you need to do if you want to look into that. But honestly, there is something for any interest. Have you been to the insect zoo at the Natural History Museum? I have. I have. Whenever I have kids on my tour, I always, and they've gone to the Natural History Museum, I ask them, what did you like the most? The bones, the bugs, or the gems? And it's funny because I get all three answers. Kids have, some kids like one, some kids like another. Everybody's different. Yeah, it's it's great. So what about some of the, what I would consider not obvious kid museums, like the art museums you mentioned, the National Gallery of Art? I think a lot of people would think of the National Gallery of Art and they say, oh, isn't that the place with the Picasso in the Warhol? Like, I don't think my kid's going to be into that sort of thing. But in many ways, some of these museums that are not the obvious kid-friendly ones often have some of the most interesting things for them. Absolutely. In fact, some of my kids' favorites are the ones um, behind the Smithsonian Castle. So the National Museum of American Art, I mean, sorry, African Art, and then also the Freer Gallery on Asian Art. Um, Because they're so small, there is rarely anybody, it's not a big crowd, I should just say, Uh, maybe you'll have one or two people in the gallery with you, but you feel like you can be totally immersed. And we have learned so much from those museums, even in things my kids are not necessarily interested in. We were learning about gold in Nigeria. And it's just stunning when you see these gold pieces that are hundreds of years old and you try to match it to, okay, America was not even thought of yet when these countries were creating these amazing pieces of art. So um, I would really suggest uh, looking at these websites and seeing what are some of the exhibits currently up. Um, and then also my blog has a lot about museums that can help, you know, find those hidden gems. I have a blog post on 20 museums that are good for kids in DC. I would say the other thing is not just indoor museums, but just outdoor parks. There are so many incredible playgrounds in DC there, and they have all different themes. There's one that's actually a complete replica of the National Mall. It's at Rosedale Community Center in Northeast. And um, you can kind of go inside 
I mean, it's all outdoor play equipment, if you can imagine like plastic play equipment, but there's like a White House, there's a um, space shuttle, there's the MLK Memorial, um, and it's really cool. And one thing that I think you've written about that I hadn't even really considered is that a lot of people think of museums, you're just going to look at things, you're just going to look at artifacts, or in the case of art museums, you're just going to look at some paintings. But you can actually, if you have kids, you can actually have them recreate the painting or color in a version of the painting. I never even really considered that before. Yes, yes. I We always bring a um, little notebook in my mom bag or a diaper bag. <laughs> um, and so if we're at an art museum, they can draw um, what they see. If we're at, you know, maybe more of a historical museum, they can write about something they're interested in. So it's just nice to have like that five minute pause and gives them something to do um, instead of just, you know, breezing through an, an exhibit. Yeah, I think that's quite brilliant, to be honest. And I don't really see that many people doing it. So hopefully it catches on because I think it could definitely make these museums, especially the ones that you might not think of as being like the kid museums, uh, a little bit more interesting for them. Yeah, it makes every place an exciting adventure, you know. So let's move on to the teenagers, which in some ways are the easiest to travel with. In some ways, they're the hardest to travel with. And so I guess I would consider this age roughly 13 to 18, although I've lately been having quite a few uh, college students tagging along on family trips, which is great. Hey, if your family's going to pay for a trip, might as well take advantage of that while you're in college. But for this age group, uh, how would you think about approaching a trip? Yes. And admittedly, I don't have a teen yet. So um, this is all just from experience taking um, our friends and uh, relatives who have visited. But I think the main thing is just to ask them what they are interested in. You know, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to convince a teen to be excited about something um, just because you're excited. So ask them if they've ever wanted to experience, you know, seeing the constitution or um, going up to the top of either the Washington Monument or the Postal Tower. And then the other thing is there are some really cool hidden gems um, in DC that are off the National Mall. The one I'm thinking of just when I think teens, maybe this is stereotypical, but I think like selfie spots is <laughs> the uh, DC Alley Museum. Have you been there in um, Northwest in Shaw? I'm afraid. I'm afraid to say I have not. I am oh. very much aware of it, however. <laughs> no problem. No problem. It's very cool. It's just um, basically two alleys and not at all sketchy. Uh, and some artists have created beautiful murals and um, and artwork. And so uh, that's really cool to go and see. And a lot of them, they have QR codes so you can learn more about the artist. And um, a lot of them have deep meaning behind it. So I would say that's a great place for teens. And then I know it's stereotypical, but the spy museum is pretty awesome. You know, you, you get your own interactive piece of it at the beginning, you get an identity and you have to follow clues and it's pretty hard. Like it was hard for, we took my daughter for her birthday with some friends. So that's a really cool one. Um, and then just all the neighborhoods, I really recommend when families ask, Oh, what should we do in DC? Uh, just to get into the neighborhoods. I agree with everything you said. Spy Museum is pretty fun, even even though it is one of the few paid museums. And exactly. many people say, why should I pay for a museum when I can go to all these other ones? But it, it's definitely unique. You're not going to get the same experience at the uh, Smithsonian Museums or the art museums that you're going to get at the Spy Museum. And one thing that I like about having teens on my tour is that many of them are often very interested in the sites, the city, the history. And I'm quite thankful 
to the Broadway show Hamilton, mm-hmm. which has definitely, I mean, I've had teenagers on my tour who tell me they listen to the entire soundtrack every single day. It's just part of their routine. And so then they come to DC and they want to see the Jefferson Memorial. They want to look at the treasury building next to the White House because they know it from uh, from the show. And so I think it's great that many uh, teenagers are more interested in these things than maybe I was when I was around that age. But if you know you have someone who is showing any kind of interest in history, I think you can definitely play to that. Absolutely. Yeah, I never thought of that. But yes. So now the tricky thing is, It would be one thing if you had one kid or two kids and they're close in age. But the reality for many families is very different. Uh, Families come in all shapes and sizes. And so one thing that could happen is you might have a family with kids of different ages. You might have someone who's 15, who's eight, and who's four. And you're taking this trip together. And so it's not as simple now as just saying, oh, look at where to go for young kids, for elementary kids, right? You've got to kind of make everybody happy. So what's what's your thought on approaching or organizing a trip for a situation like that? Yes, that is definitely a challenge. I kind of go by the parenting model of WW, which is whatever works. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, you just have to play to the strengths. So especially if you have somebody, a child who's still napping, you want to, you know, make sure that child can get a nap like you said, either in a stroller or back at the hotel and you block your day into like morning activity, lunch, and then afternoon activity and nap. Um, I think one thing that has been really helpful for our family is um, having a hotel with a pool (laughs) so that if, you know, some kid needs to get out energy and some child needs to sleep, they can do that at the same place, you know, with two, with two parents. So um, one hotel we stayed at recently was the Residence Inn right by the mall because I wanted to see how their indoor pool was. And my kids approved. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, is it is it good? Yeah, yeah, they loved it. Yeah, it was great. It's just great to have that, you know, after a day of kind of moving around, you know, going by parents' itineraries, it's fun to just, you know, get the energy out at the pool. Another way I would say is um, just really back to the expectations game. So if you do have, you know, a toddler and an older child, um, really maybe considering splitting up um, your day in somebody takes the older child somewhere cool and somebody stays with the younger child or, um, you know, just kind of going with the flow of your family, not on vacation, but bringing it to that vacation time. Uh, You beat me to the punch because I was just going to ask when you travel with your family, if you ever split up and I actually recommend it and not everybody does it. I think a lot of people, they feel like this is the family trip and we've got to all be together the entire time. And so you kind of wind up in a situation where you wind up going to one place for the younger ones, but the older ones aren't into it. And you go to one place for the older ones and the younger ones aren't into it. But if you split up and I think it's okay to split up is that you can kind of approach different places and everybody kind of gets a little bit of what they want. Oh, absolutely. We, we absolutely do this. Yeah. Of course, because we're um, just outside DC, we can do this easily and someone can stay at home. But um, even when we went to Philadelphia, my husband took my daughter to the Franklin Institute, which was awesome. And then I took my son to the Please Touch Museum, which is truly amazing. But it's just based on ages of kids and interests. And even if it's not based on ages, you know, even if you're 
a family of all adults. You know, if some people really want to go to the art museums and other people really want to go to the air and space museum, split up, go to the ones you want to go to is, is how I would uh, approach it. Absolutely. Whatever works. And you're already going to spend a lot of time with each other on vacation. It's, it's fine to have a little breather. <laughs> this is a really great conversation, Jennifer, but let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about less obvious things to do with kids, where to eat with kids and a bunch of other fun stuff. <laughs> If you're listening to this podcast, my hunch is that you're probably planning an upcoming trip to Washington, D.C., or at least dreaming about a future adventure. One thing I've learned from meeting thousands of travelers and doing a bit of traveling myself over the years is that experiences are usually the best memories from a trip. That's why I started Trip Hacks D.C. I didn't just want to create content to help you plan a trip, but also to provide an amazing experience once you arrive. And I think it's worked because people tell me all the time that their Trip Hacks DC tour was the highlight of their trip. And that really makes me happy. So if that's something that sounds up your alley, you can head over to TripHacksDC.com to learn about taking a private tour with me or a public group tour with one of the amazing Trip Hacks DC tour guides. And we're back. Now for folks who are planning a trip with kids, they're going to go on Family Trip Guides, your website and read about the best museums for kids and take in all of that other information. But I'm curious to know, are there places in D.C. that you would suggest for families with kids that might not appear on the standard tourist guides? Or people always ask me for hidden gems. Do you know of any good hidden gems? Oh, absolutely. In fact, Rob, I have a blog post. <laughs> um, it's called 15 Free uh hidden gems in DC. And they're all um, free and all outdoor um, because I wrote this, um, you know, in the, in the missing years. Um, but a couple, I mean, there are just so many, so I could have made 50, but I didn't want to overwhelm people. So my top 15, I should say, um, a couple of them, you've probably heard of all of these, but um, they were definitely new to me before I moved here was Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens. It's actually a National Park Service um, park in Northeast. Yes. And uh, it's the only aquatic gardens in the National Park Service. So that means it's like water lilies and lotuses, and it's just stunning. They've created, I think, like 50 different ponds. And then there's a boardwalk that goes across the Anacostia River. And my kids loved it. And because it's a national parks, I don't think it's like a deaf like official national park, but it's run by the national parks, I should say. They have the junior ranger program and they have a booklet for kids and it's just a really cool hidden gem. It's great. And every time I go there, there's hardly anyone there, which is both a bummer because it's such a great place, but also uh, a great opportunity because when you come to DC, especially if you come during spring break or summer break, when everybody's here, it just, you know, the crowds start to wear on you. So to get into a place that's both amazing and not that crowded, Pretty nice. Yes. And another one is the islands in D.C., which um, is a shocker to many people that there are islands in D.C., but there's two, Kingman and Heritage Islands. And they've created this beautiful boardwalk and bridges that go across from RFK Stadium area, the fields, and onto these two islands. And it's just incredible for kids who want to just run and explore. They're actually pretty small. The first one, you can 
circle in maybe 10 minutes. And then the second one, they have music festivals or they used to have music festivals there. So it's much bigger, Um, but it's really fun. And they actually have some canoes there that you can, if you bring your life vests, you can just borrow and go out onto the water. But that was really fun for my family. Lots of wildlife, like um, lots of birds. And um, I think we saw frogs, but there's also turtles and fish. Um, So that's really fun to do. And the one of the best playgrounds in DC is right at that RFK fields. I would suggest go to the islands first and then reward the kids or bribe them uh, with the cool playground that's uh, sports themed at that space. People who visit DC are shocked to learn that we have islands. They're in the middle of the river. They're not like out in the sea or anything. Um, Roosevelt Island is probably the most popular one. And that one has very different vibes. That one feels like you're going into the woods, right? Whereas these are different vibes for sure. Oh, sorry. I always think of Roosevelt as Virginia, but I think it is technically D.C. We enter it from Virginia. So I always think of it as like an Arlington Park. But you're absolutely right. There are there is another more famous island. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really interesting island because the the island is technically in D.C., but the only entrance is from Virginia. So you have to enter Virginia first to go. Uh, Any other hidden gems that you want to mention? Yes. So for younger crowd, I have one for younger, one for older. So for the younger crowd near the Yards Park behind the Department of Transportation, there's this kind of secret museum, but it's outdoor. It's called the Transportation Walk. And it goes through all the different levels of transportation in America. So it starts at like pre-colonial times and then goes all the way up to, you know, fighter jets. Um, and it's kind of cool. A lot of them, you can turn the wheel of a big ship and um, you, they have a gas station model where you can pretend to put gas in. So that's a cool little hidden gem. And then of course, enjoy the riverfront and the yards park, which is awesome. And then for older kids, the Congressional Cemetery is the coolest cemetery in the US. I think that's what they put on their website. And it actually is really interesting. So um, it's obviously where a lot of dignitaries are buried, but also so a lot of history. So go on their website or they have tours. I think they're free. And then in cherry blossom season, that's my favorite place to see um, the cherry blossoms. Yeah, this is not the first time Congressional Cemetery has been brought up by a guest on this podcast. And so longtime listeners are probably like, why does every single person that comes on the Trip XCC podcast talk about this? Oh, sorry. I, I haven't listened to all of them. I listened to the last couple, but um, it is pretty cool, especially if you're, I think if you're into history or maybe into just more, you know, creepy things. I don't know. It's just kind of a cool place. They definitely go, they definitely lean into Halloween. If you go in October, you're going to get your Halloween, your ghost tours. They used to have an ad on the Metro. I haven't seen it in a while, but the ad said, Congressional Cemetery, you don't have to be famous. You just have to be dead as a way of trying to sell plots there, I guess. And it's true. There are quite a few famous people there, but there's lots of regular people just like us there too. Yeah. My daughter loves it because there's a lot of dogs. Um, Mm -hmm. Dogs can go off leash there and she loves dogs. So it's really like almost a lovely dog park, I would say. My son, not so much. I was holding him for a little bit. Ah, So that's a good thing to know. If you love dogs or don't love dogs, there's going to be a lot of dogs there. And I think that is uncertain times. So we already talked a little bit about logistics as far as getting around with a stroller, but I want to get your take on more general getting around transportation with kids because as the family size gets bigger, transportation becomes more challenging. It's much easier for me to get around as a solo person than it is for a couple, than it is for a family of four, than it is for a family of six. So what's your 
general advice for getting around DC with kids? Do you like Metro, bus, Uber? What What's your take? Yes. Yeah. All of the above. I am a suburban mom. So I will say that I do drive in most times with my kids, but I would say Metro is preferred for visitors. It just makes your life easier. You don't have to worry about parking. DC is notorious for tickets. There are sometimes like six signs you have to read whether or not you're allowed to park there. So I would say Metro is best. I typically don't recommend visitors, tourists drive. I think it's a different story if you live in the suburbs and you know the tricks. But the hardest thing about the National Mall is that most of the metered parking is limited to only three hours. So perfectly fine if you're coming in from Virginia, spending a few hours at a museum and heading back. But a lot trickier if you're planning to spend the entire day in the city uh, before going back to the hotel. Now, I want to ask about another component of a trip that's very important for a lot of people, and that's food, eating, restaurants. (laughs) For a lot of people, eating their way through the city, trying new foods, trying the local favorites is a a big part of the travel experience. And so what's your philosophy when it comes to taking kids to restaurants? Well, this is near and dear to my heart. We love, um, of course, everyone loves food, but our family, my husband is Taiwanese American and I grew up in Europe. So that's really, we we will center our whole day around a restaurant actually. So that's uh, during um, the pandemic, it was a little harder, but we would find a place that, you know, does takeout and then we would find a park or historical site nearby. But first we would pick the restaurant. (laughs) So um, I think DC is a great place for families with kids. I can't really think of too many places, you know, other than the extreme fine dining, you know, um, tasting menus that would not be kid friendly. For the most part, everyone is is aware and, you know, loves to have tourism come in. So I haven't had any bad experience of somebody being rude because we have the kids. And I would just say, there are probably more kid-friendly restaurants and par- parents know that vibe. Basically, what are your children, what's your child going to eat? Also, you know, how fancy it is. But I think even even for the more fancier experiences, if you want to have that experience on vacation, um, it's really all about setting those expectations pretty low, but then also being really clear with your communication with kids. So my kids and I, we just had kind of our first fancy dinner experience. And because we had been talking about it that week, they were really excited. And we talked about, you know, okay, we're going to have to put the napkin on our lap. Um, And we practiced at dinner beforehand and you're going to get two forks and we're going to, and it was just like a fun experience. And they lasted the three hours much better than I would have ever thought because it was exciting. And it was like something we were being intentional about. Whereas I think if we just had pulled up to the restaurant, it would have been much more, uh, a lot more complaining. (laughs) So what was the name of the kind of fancy restaurant that you took them to? Oh, I'm sorry. It it was in Portugal recently. So I Oh, it was not in DC. Okay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's much more affordable in Portugal. I don't know if you want to keep that in or not. (laughs) It's uh, definitely true that Washington, D.C. is just an expensive city. Yes, uh, yes. And I know Portugal, at least for Europe, tends to have a reputation of being less expensive than its neighbors. But I don't really know much more about it than that. I think one thing that's interesting about D.C. and the restaurants here is that they are all fairly casual. You don't really have the like white tablecloths and the servers dressed up in tuxedos or you know whatever the old stereotypes are. So they don't really feel stuffy. They feel much more relaxed, much more casual in a way that 
yeah, maybe the menu's expensive, but maybe your kids have expensive tastes or maybe they got some <laughs> birthday money and they want to splurge and you can bring them there and they will accommodate them. Yeah. So, and I think that the real um, hidden gem, or I guess not even hidden, just the exciting part of DC restaurants is all the diversity. So we have one of the largest um, populations of Afghan and Afghan Americans outside of um, the Middle East. And then we also have a lot of Ethiopian families and different restaurants, um, Vietnamese, Korean, Taiwanese. So um, it's really exciting, especially if you come from a part of the country that doesn't have a lot of those restaurants. It can just be so exciting and you can really frame it that way for your kids. Like we're going to try some new food. Let's let's learn about this. I think there's definitely an op- an educational opportunity when it comes to that, like, for example, Ethiopian food you mentioned. And I, you know, when I was growing up, didn't know very much about Ethiopia. My hunch is that many kids don't know much about it. And so you can say, yeah, we're going to go eat this really unique food, some stuff you've never had before. And but before we do, we're going to actually learn about this country and why the food is the way that it is. And I think that can be kind of a good experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a blog post of 24 of our favorites and I put a huge caveat at the beginning, like this is just my family, but I will say my kids have eaten, you know, most things at this restaurant. So that's like my bar is a kid-friendly restaurant is where my kids will eat. So um, a lot of those are especially Asian restaurants because we, that's what we love. But yes, exactly. Like Ethiopian food and some, some restaurants, at least uh, it's been a while, but um some Ethiopian restaurants will also have some sort of like ceremony component or music component. Um, so if you want to, you can definitely seek those out as well. Yeah, I did one a few years ago that was a, a coffee roasting. So it was an Ethiopian restaurant. And they actually, you know, most people, including me, I've been drinking coffee for <laughs> decades and I never actually witnessed how the beans get roasted. And so it's just like kind of mind blowing in that way. And you can have those kind of experiences either by accident, like just happen to be there at the right time, or you can seek them out. Yes. Yeah. I have Dukem on my, um, on my blog post. It's an Ethiopian restaurant on U street. Um, and I, that's where I had that experience too with popcorn. I think Dukem's the most famous and, and actually the one I typically send people to because it's close to the Metro. So it's easy to get to, but there aren't any bad ones, right? Yeah. And, and the other thing is the food markets. So I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, but Easter market is a must visit in my book. We take all our friends there. Um, you know, out-of-towners there, and then also Union Market and The Wharf, you know, all those neighborhoods that um, have a concentration of good restaurants. Yeah, I'm going to do a full-blown food and restaurants podcast episode sometime this year because there's just a lot to kind of parse out. But places like Union Market, uh, Union Market and Eastern Market are a little different. Union Market is really just a lot of restaurants all under one roof, whereas Eastern market is includes a farmer's market and includes a butcher and a flower shop. And so. And pancakes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so if you can go to both because you're going to get two different experiences. But the beauty of a place like Union Market is if you have a bunch of people in your group and it's really hard to get everyone to agree because you've got some people are vegetarians and some people are. Um, you know, want a certain kind of food and other people want a different kind of food, you can go to a place like Union Market and everybody can get something that they like. Absolutely. That is a huge parenting hack. (laughs) So one thing that I think about Washington, D.C. is that we have, I think we have the best fast, casual restaurant scene in the entire country. And I have yet to go to another city that has as many of this type of restaurants. And this would be uh, a fast casual restaurant in my book is one 
where it's better than fast food, right? So it's better than Taco Bell, McDonald's, but it's not a full-blown restaurant. You're not sitting down and having a server come to you. So it's it's really in the middle. Um, Chipotle was kind of like the first of this genre. Now there's there's a lot. Do you tend to like these kind of restaurants too? Yes. Yeah. Actually, you know, I never thought about that, that we're more unique in that sense. But yes, I definitely, I love Ann Pizza, which started in DC, Cava. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the type of restaurants, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, Kava, Roti. I don't know if Roti started here, but the other two did. Um, and they're great. I mean, those are in our regular <laughs> uh, regular rotation. Yeah, so Sweet Green, Kava, yes. and Pizza. And, you know, Sweet Green's all over the country now. Same with Kava. At the time we're recording this episode, Kava just said they're going to have an IPO. You're going to be able to buy their stock soon. Oh, and wow. I, I don't know if I will, but you, you can if you want to. I love their crazy feta. I might have to invest. It's really good, but it but it shows that like a lot of these, you know, what have become these big chains and I, you know, I'm not in love with chain restaurants, but when they started here, when they're the hometown favorite, I can usually give them a pass. Absolutely. And I know that Ann Pizza and Cava, they do a lot of local good too. And I'm sure Sweetgreen as well. Um, so it's great. And it's really, really well, like high quality ingredients. Yes, exactly. And that's why I like it more than your typical fast food, because you're going to get quality food, quality ingredients, and it's just easy. It's you don't have to worry about, you know, is this meal going to take hours of my time? You just walk in, you get your food, you eat and you, you know, keep on moving, keep your trip going. Well, Jennifer, this has been an incredible conversation. I really appreciate all of the knowledge that you have uh, that you've provided for free on your blog, on your Instagram account. It's really just incredible. And so for folks who are still listening, they're going to want to know, how can they follow you? Where should they go? What should they look for? Tell us how we can find you. Well, thank you so much, Rob. And I really love your Instagram reels. I always learn so much like uh, about different hidden spots. So I've really enjoyed that. Um, I'm everywhere on my blog is familytripguides.com. Instagram is the same, Family Trip Guides and Facebook, but primarily on Instagram. And then also, that's all for free, but I also have started selling Family Trip Guides PDF version, downloadable digital products on Etsy. So you can find that at Etsy slash, I think, shop slash Family Trip Guides. So those are to the National History Museum, um, the American History Museum, Natural History Museum, and uh, Air and Space, and then also the zoo and the Postal Museum. So uh, those are places that don't actually have any family uh, handout when you go to the info desk. So I, from my dozens of trips to each, I have created this for families. And then it, they also come with a passport that you can download for your kids um, to fill out when they go to different Smithsonian's. But I would say the best starting place is familytripguides.com because it's all free on there. And I'm going to put a link to all of these in the show notes, including the Etsy shop. And I think it's great. I think obviously as a tour guide, the best experiences you can have are interactive experiences. So the more interactive you can make your trip, especially for the kiddos, the better. So thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.